Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription. Black Rifle Coffee. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Smart and Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at spartanforge.ai. 
What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 130. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Zach Bailiff of Hunt Leet. Zach grew up hunting whitetails in Indiana, chasing them with the muzzleloader and the slug gun. So here we are now talking about when he was in college, he found the bow. Since then, he's participated in archery tournaments all over, chased and filled some elk over-the-counter tags in Colorado, and hammered down on some whitetails right here in the state of Pennsylvania. We talked a lot about all these topics and touched on some others during this episode. Zach's a great dude, so make sure you go give him a follow over at Hunt Leet and enjoy their content. Awesome photos. They got some videos on YouTube, but also some uh, motivational stuff uh, every day when you see he and Evan post some some videos regarding their workouts and what it takes to be an athlete out there in the backcountry. Enjoy this episode. See you next week. Antler up. Don't forget to head on over to antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our merch. We got a couple hats left in the store. Hopefully, we'll have some new uh, and more exciting things coming uh, down the pipeline for you here uh, this upcoming fall. Check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. All right, everybody. So on the other line, we are joined by Zach Bailiff is from Hunt Leet. So really cool page. And Zach, uh, I had a chance to get to know Zach just through social media because uh, Zach is also works with America's Best Bowstrings. And you'll see some of his sweet photos that he does not only for them sometimes, but Hoyt and a bunch of other uh, companies. And obviously, he's also one of the uh, hosts for the Orion podcast. At, uh, you, how long have you guys been doing that now? Uh, we're in episode 12 now. We're doing it kind of bi-weekly every couple of weeks and, and just kind of slow rolling it out and, and getting our feet wet with that whole sort of thing. But it's been good. That's nice. That sounds really nice too, bi-weekly <laughs> from like an editing standpoint. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, just, and we live stream too. So it's it presents its own challenges with that for sure. Absolutely. Hey, man, look what we just went through. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Zach, so talk, go ahead and give your, your, uh, hunting, you know, player card, a rundown, like talk about where you're from, you know, what you've been up to. Like you just ta- said about like since 2015 going out West doing a bunch of different things. So give your hunting, you know, background and who you are, where you're coming from, all that stuff. Yeah. So grew up in Southern Indiana. Um, Bedford, Indiana, if anybody knows where that's at, it's a couple hours south of Indy. So I'm kind of halfway between Indy and Louisville, um, over in that area. And it's, it's Louisville. If you're from there, not Louisville, um, for those that were wondering, (laughs) but no, it's, I grew up, grew up hunting whitetail mainly. Um, a lot of, you know, just shotgun and muzzleloader, uh, never was really into the archery side until I got into college and, uh, picked up a bow at a yard sale. No, uh, the PSE, I'm the blanking on the model right now, but I, I hunted with that for a few years and really kind of fell into that addiction. Um, and then archery just kind of took over from there. But we, we chased turkeys a little bit growing up. I hunted rabbits with a 1022 some. Uh, but once I got into the archery thing, man, it just took over. And that's once I was bitten by that bug, it was it was all over from there. So it was three Ds and indoors and tournaments every weekend, and had a blast doing that for a long time. And really had always had the goal of wanting to go out west and kind of chase that that dream and evan williams who was living in colorado at the time um just through social media ironically enough and 
we got to got to kind of meet face to face uh at ata one year and he was like why don't you come on out this fall and we'll, we'll try and get you a tag and we'll see if we can't you know stick an arrow in a bull so 2015 so you know we're in our seventh year and it, it's been a blast but uh you know other than hunting i grew up you know showing horses playing every sport i could possibly you know get my parents to put me in so it was uh, a lot of a lot of basketball and soccer and then sprinkled a little baseball and softball throughout, you know, as I got into to high school and college. And that's, that's kind of really when I started making the connection, you know, to how much of a difference my, you know, my fitness level was making and my ability to kind of perform in the field and, and chase animals. And we kind of ran down the rabbit hole of a few different brand ideas. And then eventually Huntley was born from that. So the, we took the idea of the hunting athlete and, you know, hunters have been athletes for thousands of years. Um, just never really marketed it as that way until the last decade or two and, and really ran with it from there. Now, what, why do you think, uh, archery is so attractive to people? Cause we hear that all the time where, yeah. you know, we've all kind of grown up traditional cause our, our dads and our grand grandfathers were the traditional rifle hunters. And, you know, it's a pretty similar story that we hear over and over again. Um, and then kind of, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but you know, we've all kind of got a hold of that archery yeah. bug and we kind of haven't let go so what what do you feel like is so attractive that everyone's kind of had the same story and you know why is everyone kind of gripping onto this archery theme which is kind of you know western whitetail it's kind of you know evolving on both sides of the spectrum here yeah it's you know it's funny we like i said we grew up hunting with shotguns and muzzleloaders mainly and you know i can remember for dad when i was i was little um sitting out on the front step in front of the house with him shooting his bow every night when he got home from work leading up to deer season and then from there every night when he got home from work he was in the woods you know um and he eventually tapered off and got a little burnout on it and stuff um down the down the line and i don't know if that's part of the reason we kind of never got into the archery side of it then but once i found it it was just you know, I think it's a kind of the same reason we get so into fitness and addicted to that side. And it's the struggle and the learning curve and having to put in the work. And, you know, I'm pretty detail a lot of things. And I think that's one reason archery kind of gives me that fix, you know, because there's so many little things you got to pay attention to. And I love tinkering on my own gear, you know, for a large part of us, I think as archers, we're all gear junkies too. So when it comes to kind of tinkering and tweaking on things and, you know, it, it really kind of feeds that, that side of it too, but it's, it's definitely not the easiest route. And I, I think that's part of it, you know, as well, the guys just love to kind of struggle with it a little bit. Yeah. Cause I think like you just said, Dimitri, we grew up and, and Zach, you said it too. We grew up with, I like shooting guns and we grew up that mm-hmm. way, but I, I have, you know what I mean? But there is just something so special. Like I, I won't, I remember both deer that I shot my first rifle deer and my first archery deer. And I, I talked about it on the PA out, you know, back country podcast we did as, uh, you know, I, I won't forget. I'm always chasing that feeling of when you shoot a deer with the bow compared to a gun, like I don't get me wrong. I still get fired up, but there's just something different. And, you know, even now, like yesterday I was watching my daughter, we were shooting in the backyard and she finally like, let me help her. And it was mm-hmm. just like as little as just letting me, I'm like, just put your nose lightly 
to the tip of your nose on the string, <laughs> you know, instead of like, she was like burying yeah. it. You know, she doesn't know. Right. It's just getting her yeah. and she has 10, 12 shots in her. And, and she, when she did, I adjusted her sight a little bit and she hit, she literally hit like a half inch just off of bullseye and it just watching her and have that click. It was so cool to see. And, you know, we chase, that's the thing. We just try to chase that, that not perfection, but try to be as close as we yeah, can. You know what I mean? But that's, yeah, that's exactly what it is, you know, and it, it's, we say perfection, but more or less it's chasing consistency. Yeah. You know, how many, how many times in a row can you do the exact same thing to achieve the exact same result? And then from there you can tweak and adjust and, and achieve what we would deem perfection as far as hitting X's or baby X's or whatever. Um, I know one thing, you know, thinking about it as we get through the conversation, Early on, it, it was a struggle for me, man. Buck fever affected me bad when I was fire, you know, hunting with a firearm. And it took me a long time before I killed my first deer. Um, and dad finally just put me in a, a deadfall and, and let me be. And he went off and he was, you know, kind of pushing, pushing deer around. He ended up shooting one that day as well. Um, about the same time I shot one on my own. So I killed my very first doe. It was my very first deer and it, it was a doe. Um, and I was by myself. He wasn't even around to see it, which was kind of, it's kind of funny thinking back that he didn't get to, you know, sit there and experience that with me. But it was, it was a challenge for me to, to get over those nerves and those shakes and stuff. And, you know, I'm sure I, it's hard to remember, but I'm sure I did all the dumb stuff, you know, close my eyes when I pulled the trigger and, you know, random stuff like that. And archery has always been something that I can remember every single part of the execution of that shot. I can remember, you know, the release clicking. I can remember settling my pin. I know how the deer was standing. I just remember so many more details because I'm slowing the process down where, you know, firearms, you might just be pulling up and click bang. Yeah. So I think, you know, that that's part of what, one reason I really enjoy it too. I, I seem to remember more of it. I remember my first doe with the rifle. I was in the stand by myself and it was through this nasty, thick stuff, like a 90-yard shot. Like, I was just like, ooh, brown <laughs> movement. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just stuff that I would harp on my daughter if she was 12, like, if I left her alone, like, not to do. And I <laughs> Do as I say, not as I yeah, do. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I won't forget when we walked up on the deer, and my dad goes, well, it's a button buck, and uh, I don't know how the hell you shot this thing through all this. And I was like, I don't know, good shot, you know, and uh it, it just it's still it's so funny to think back but again it was just kind of like all right i unclicked the safety i'm on them and i i like i don't remember i'm sure i had my eyes closed and i just let it rip i just squeezed and pulled yeah. and lucky enough and my dad i just won't ever forget like coming like radioing maybe i don't even know if we had the radios even i just uh he just knew it was me basically because where we were and yeah. just came over and i was like yep uh i think it's down i i can't really tell and he walked over where'd you shoot and he goes up oh, yeah here it is and yeah it's just so funny to to think back to those first times and same thing with the archery i might the first shot on the doe uh it was like the following year so i was like 13 on a doe i shot and i missed and the deer stayed there. Like it didn't know what was going on. I mean, I was probably pulling the least amount of legal weight that you could pull here in Pennsylvania, <laughs> I guess. And it like hopped around and I, you know, put it in another arrow, drew back and I, it was on, I just saw it brown and I released the, the arrow and she ran about 35 yards and dropped. And, and that's when I almost <laughs> fell out the tree. And that's when I was like, holy shit, this is just a whole different 
feeling and a whole different rush. And that's when I, I, I loved it ever since then. Yeah. You know, it's between shotgun hunting, not so much, but when you start rifle hunting and start looking through optics and things like that, unless you're shooting really long yardage and even more so then you're a little more disconnected at times from the animal. It feels a little bit video game esque, you know, where you're just kind of pointing and clicking versus all the, the attention to detail in the process that comes with archery. And I think that's, you know, that's a big part of why we all love it so much. When you talked about having like that buck fever, have you experienced anything regarding that? Like with archery or, I mean, obviously you have like the target panic and, and you know, the buck fever in, in the archery world, like when on an animal, if you have mm-hmm. like, what have you done to offset that or, or work through that? I've never, I've never really had target panic that bad in the you know when when people really talk about not being able to get their pin on target at all or things like that the times i i have struggled with sort of a version of it um was back when we shot a lot of indoor tournaments and stuff i went to shooting a ring in my in my scope or my glass versus a pin because when i would use a pin i always wanted the pin sitting at six o'clock so i could visually look at the x I didn't like to have my pin covering the X. I wanted to be able to see it. So I would find myself holding low a lot and I would actually end up sighting my bow in that way at 20 yards. So I knew holding six o'clock, like on a five spot, you know, holding six o'clock at the bottom of the X, I'd be center. Um, which is obviously not what you want to, you want to be holding in the middle. Um, it, it makes it more consistent. So I went to shooting that ring eventually, but on animals and even 3d, like I've never, I've never had target panic. I, I've been lucky enough, and I'm sure that it'll eventually get me at some point because it gets us all. Um, you know, I, I know guys who, who can't even get their pin on target. They've got it so bad. Um, and, there, you know, there's a variety of different ways you can um, can overcome that. You can blank bail. Um, you can do the just draw, hold, get your pin on target and then let down and never actually execute that shot. Just make yourself hold that pin mm-hmm. where you want to hit without actually executing. So there's, there's a number of ways you can go through it. And Levi actually on Levi Morgan on their podcast right now, he's doing kind of a weekly shooting thing on how to overcome some of that. And he's, he's definitely been, you know, around the block with all that as long as he's been shooting. Uh, but as far as on an animal, I've never had that issue. You know, I've with elk, uh, it was 2018, we had one come in and, and really surprised uh, where I finally got a shot off on that bull. Um, and that ended up just being a moment where I misjudged some yardage, uh, shot low on him and didn't recover him, but I just barely scratched the hair off his belly. So he was fine. We actually found fresh blood the next morning and he was, he was perfectly okay. But aside from that, I really haven't gotten the shakes with archery until after the shot's been executed. Um, which has been, which has been cool. Cause then, you know, then I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's awesome to feel all that emotion and that rush come in. But now you talked about slowing that process down, which is, you know, something that I dealt with an issue. Um, cause I dealt with buck fever a lot, especially early on in archery. And I feel like I'm slowly starting to get to that point where I can slow that process down and, you know, really take my time and, and make sure that I'm doing, take going through my steps. Uh, is there some, a process or something that you do to slow that down? I know, you know, if you listen to a lot of shooting experts like Levi and some of the other guys out there or people, they even talked about working through some of their own issues. Uh, they do different things, you know, and, and I think Mm -hmm. 
different people are going to work better and, and do things uh, differently, which is okay, but it's just whatever you can yeah. do to slow that down. Now, is there anything since you haven't dealt with it that you do specifically to get you to that point? Uh, I think there's a, there's a few things. Number one, focusing on what you want to hit. So, you know, picking a spot and, and that's really how I, how I shot a lot of my indoor and, and even 3d was looking and focusing on what I was trying to hit more so than my pin. My pin eventually, you know, got blurry and, and I was focused on the actual, the spot of the X or whatever it was. Um, I think that's one, one thing that, you know, really kind of once, once a deer comes in, you judge him, you know, you're going to shoot. Okay. Quit looking at his head. <laughs> let's focus on, let's focus on where we're going to shoot. So picking a spot, the other side of it, I think is, um, I haven't shot a, a wrist wrap or a, an index finger release in a long time, but when I did, I set it up to where the trigger was way back in my second knuckle. Um, there's a lot of nerve endings at the end of that index finger, and it tends to get a little jumpy sometimes. So setting that trigger way back to where I can actually execute by pulling, um, that was one thing that really helped. And then since 2013, I think, I've been shooting a hinge um, in the woods and, you know, 3D and Target or whatever. So I shoot it for everything. And I think that hinge really helps me slow down and, and kind of focus on the execution and remember everything that's happening in that process. Well, mention, talk a little bit about that hinge then, Zach, because I, I've, for one, have looked into articles. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, how do you hunt with a hinge? You know, could it be done? And I know it can be done because we have friends that, that do it and use it. And, uh, obviously you, you're even one of them, you know, when people are on that fence and I, cause I have seen even at total archery challenge, like when I was doing the novelty shot at PA, uh, I don't know how many hinge two releases I saw. And I'm like, Hey, are you going to hunt with that this fall? And they're like, Nope. Which I get like, that's a great tool to keep you honest and train right now. I, I mean, hell I was even doing it at, at mm -hmm. one point and you know then i just went back to the back strap and like I, I i'm going off topic but i agree with you with the nerve endings on both the tip of my thumb and my index finger like now when i dig it mm -hmm. in the you know in the back there i do feel a lot better but you know if you're shooting that hinge extremely well why not shoot it in the hunting situation it you know talk yeah. talk a little bit about maybe what like why people are so maybe scared to do it or, or what? I don't know if it's a comfortability thing. Comfortability thing. Yeah. I, don't know if I said that right. Anyway. Um, I don't know if that's it. The, the funny thing is I went to a hinge probably the way that nobody should ever go to a hinge. Um, we were prepping for an indoor tournament that was on Saturday. I bought a hinge off archery talk the previous Saturday started shooting it on Tuesday and shot the tournament with it on Saturday. <laughs> so it was uh, not the ideal way to go to a hinge. I would suggest that anybody that picks one up blank bail for a few months with it, get used to how it functions, how your shot needs to change if it does and, and, you know, get used to it that way. But I've, I've just always, I, I don't know if it's cause I, from the, from the beginning really understood the rotation and how they needed to be executed. But I just, I, I'm really comfortable with it. Um, I say shoot it a lot and don't be scared of it. I think a lot of guys are kind of scared of punching themselves in the mouth and that sort of thing too. Um, and I do hunt, I do hunt with it. Um, I've got a click on it right now. Um, but I've shot a lot of 3d and a lot of target 
with the click off of it. And that even more kind of surprised you until you learn kind of the cadence and the hand positioning. And, you know, you can draw without it being completely rolled forward. You can, you can have it back a little bit if you know where that, that spot is where it actually goes off. Uh, it's just, it's getting more and more comfortable with it, I think. Uh, and a lot of guys are worried about that, you know, when they're in a tree, if they need to, get it off fast. execute a shot just a snapshot a su- you know super quick if it's windy if it's things like that and there are there are moments that are probably going to happen like that to me eventually um they haven't yet um but i've i've shot it in enough odd situations or windy days outside where i can roll it off pretty quick if i need to and still hit very close to the middle um it's just reps more than anything yeah i i'll tell you what just for the head case that I once was, you know, and I'm, mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot better. Uh, I always thought maybe the click would be really bad for me, but I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, man, the click was awesome because yeah. it almost kept me engaged in that shot where it's like when I, when I was using the hinge two and I drew it back, I had it, I, I had it a little bit cold. It wasn't like super hot. I know like when you watch their videos, it was like, as soon as you get set, like have it click it might have been mm-hmm. like a second later, which I liked because it was only it, it was my rhythm basically. And when I would hear the click, yeah. I would rotate and pull, pull, pull. And then, but if say it wasn't going off, I knew in my head I was basically just stay on target because you can't let this sucker down. Like now you got to pull through the shot, and it like and that's <laughs> you can yeah right. But that's <laughs> but like but for me that's what I was doing. I was like don't don't like you can't like I was almost yeah. like just continue to pull and then it would boom it would go and I was I was like wow and I kind of got the gist of it and I I did it really mm-hmm. did help me this off season now I don't plan on uh, I I got I got away from it just because just mm-hmm. because but it did it, it was one of those key pieces in my process this off season that it helped me because mentally you know what I'm saying like it was just like it's yeah. okay and now I'm like this thing is not going to go off like i've actually said this in my head now multiple times no matter what release i'm using it's not going to go mm-hmm. off until you tell it to like before like when i was all jumpy and i'd be get on a, i'd slap it and i would punch it i would do all kinds of stuff now it's like i i could really like okay it's not going to go off i'm saying in my head until you make it go off and just keep pulling mm-hmm. and then it just goes and i i've done i've been really happy with what, what i've been doing recently so yeah, I, I I just uh I I encourage people to try a hinge out whether yeah. whether whether it is to like if you shot a hinge I th- like you shoot extremely well to begin with but I I Dimitri would I if he learned it like in an off season or something like that cuz he did he shot you shot your thumb a couple years ago and you shot really well with it. You just went back to an index mm-hmm. style cuz of hunting and you shoot that extremely well, but I just know if he ever got like serious serious like holy, yeah. I I know he would shoot really well with a hinge. Yeah, it's 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 also more comfortable for me to draw with mm. too. I don't like drawing with all that pressure on my wrist. I mean, I do shoot a heavier draw weight. I'm usually somewhere between eighty and eighty four pounds, and it's just it's more comfortable for me to draw a handheld release. And you mentioned it there a minute ago. That's exactly how I have mine set up, as to where as soon as I hit anchor, it clicks, mm-hmm. and I know from there I can start executing. But that that just was one that one last thing that lets me know you're in anchor, you're in your spot, and and you know pick a spot and go. And that's it's been really good to have it set up that way. It, it works out well. Nice. 
Well, let's uh, let's kind of pivot on to an, a new topic, man. I, I it, you know, mm-hmm. I, that was really great. I, I really appreciate you sharing like your situation and what you're doing with that. Um, yeah. Right now, we're in the middle of Ju- July. I, I always want to say June because I, <laughs> I, I wish it was only. <laughs> I wish it was only June again. <laughs> Me too. I could use another month. <laughs> Holy cow! So we're in the middle of July now. What's what's on the docket? How, are you doing some whitetail prep? Are you looking? Are you going out west again this year? What's what's on the horizon, and what's your main focus at the moment? Or how are or how are you doing both at the same clip? Yeah, it's normally I'm doing both. Um, it's I had to make an adult decision this year and tell myself I'm not I'm not going out west. Um, I was going to be solo this year, which was no big deal. I've got a couple spots that we know really well and I can get in there and do. Um, but I was either going to normally, typically I would fly out, meet up with Ev, we'd jump in the truck and we'd drive to our unit. Um, we've only, you know, we've only got one truck. We split gas. It just, it, it helps with all that. So this year it would have been, you know, flying in, renting a car. Now you got gas in that car. If you get one down, then you got to ship it back, which I've done before, but obviously shipping costs are up now through the roof. Um, and then on the other side of things, if I were to just drive all the way out there, I don't have to ship it back, but I've probably got two grand in gas in the truck. So I just decided to make the adult decision this year and, and not go out West um, as much as it, it killed me to do so. It, it just was going to make everything a lot more expensive. So we're going to parlay all that all those funds in the next year and hopefully been kicking around the idea of doing Alaskan caribou next year. Um, so maybe I can squeeze in a caribou and an elk hunt if I get the wife to let me do so. Um, <laughs> but the plan is the freezer's looking pretty low right now. So the plan is to hopefully put down at least five, hopefully six deer this year and, and stack it as full as we can. So I'm hoping to have three, at least three tags here in PA um, and then I'll probably buy the combo tag back in, in Indiana, which is a either an antler, two antlerless, or three antlerless is how they word it. And then maybe if I get time, squeeze over into Ohio and, and do a little public land trip. But nice, like going out west. Like you said, you always had that dream of going out there and doing that since you you know picked up the bow and were doing that type of ordeal. And you met Ev, and you guys are are doing that. How do you like what kind of advice could you give people? Cause I know two years ago when Demetri and I went out, we talked to a bunch of different people asking them, you know, st- spot and stock strategies. And it's just so funny just because we did, we learned a lot. I, and, and there were good topics and good discussions, but it was just so funny because you, you, you hear the do this. And when we're about to do that, you see like four guys going on their quad, like after the, the mule deer you just spotted and just blew up everything. You know what I mean? And I don't think we were anticipating that by (laughs) Demetrius over here going, Nope. No, I don't think we got to do anything. People told us to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You guys went to Utah, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've never hunted Utah, but I've heard it described out there as combat bow hunting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. Yeah, That'd be good. So like Um, what, like what, uh, you know, are you, like w- go through your process. Cause I know, like you said, you know, some good units now. Are you like, I know you're, you mainly hunt Colorado. Uh, so mm-hmm. over the counter, that type of stuff. So like we have yet to hunt Colorado for over the counter. So like, where would you say, Hey guys, this is what I would do first. Uh, and go from there. Like if we want to do over the counter, just, you know, not worrying about points. Yeah. Um, well, and 
talked about it on the show before, just a kind of a one and done hunt as a kid growing up, you know, to be able to finally get out and chase elk. And once we got married and stuff and that, that first year we had some things go on, it was like, well, we owe more on our taxes than we expected to. And I was like, well, I just, I won't go out West this year. I'll, I'll put it off till next year. And it was my wife who, you know, pushed me to get out and go. And I'd met Evan and he was, you know, getting me to go out there and put in for the draw and all that. And that first year I drew a limited entry tag with no points, which was pretty awesome. We were both able to draw that same unit and get in and, the very first evening, I think, out there after a little rainstorm, we pitch off this rock face, drop straight down into a meadow, and laid eyes on a 365-inch bull. So from that point on, I was done. I was going to be there every year, and I and I have been, which has been up until this year, which has been just awesome. But as far as picking units and all that, you know, there's a lot of good resources out there between yep. uh, Go Hunt and and, but as far as over-the-counter units, just, you know, doing your, your e-scouting and, and picking what looks good and finding good water sources and, um, you know, work dark timber and aspen meat, you know, a lot of those good areas where they can feed out into that and then go into dark timber and bed down in, the, you know, in the afternoons and get some shade and, and that sort of thing and, and just looking for those key features that elk, you know, really like. Um, I'm also extremely fortunate when it comes to Evan living in Colorado for as long as he did, he had a, a vast network of people and, and he's got a, a pretty good, uh, little black book full of spots. We'll call it, <laughs> um, that we can get into, but it's, it can seem like a pretty tall order when you're just getting ready to go out there and do it on your own for sure. Um, we did do, I've done high country mule deer with him one time and it, and it was in a spot in a unit that he knew and had been in before. Um, so I didn't have to do any of the, any of the picking the location for that one. Cause he was the one with the tag. I had an elk tag that trip. We got up there, we saw seven good bucks, I think, or, or five good bucks. We made seven different stocks over the next five Jeez. days and the wind, the wind got us on every one of them. <laughs> so that, that high country Colorado wind, man, it just, you get up there and it, you'd be good and you get within about 75 yards and it's swirl and hit the back of your neck. And those dudes don't even look back. They just get up and Go. vacate the premises. That's they gone. So, but yeah, I would, you know, just, there's a lot of resources out there these days. Yep. You know, uh, you know, you utilize as many of them as you can and just do that e-scouting, learn what they like and get pick a spot there. and go. Yep. Yeah. That's Run. the best thing you can do, I think. And, you're going to run into some guys out there in Colorado over the counter. You know, there there's big talks and legislation and stuff right now about limiting non-resident over the counter tags in Colorado because it's the I think it's one of if not the last state that has no limit on uh, non-resident over the counter tags and you know with the last couple of years and people having some disposable income and the number of hunters up it's it's really put some pressure on the elk and we've we've seen it. You know, they've they've gotten quieter, they're not nearly as vocal these last 2 years and made the hunting a lot tougher last year was one of the toughest years we've had out there in terms of getting out the bugle well that's what i was just going to say is is as you right before you were saying that is you know a lot of people especially from the east i mean you know you hesitate to go out there in general right you know because you have families and it's a long trip whether you're flying or driving we experienced it you know it's not easy to get out there and the money of gas, which is crazy going up. Right. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. um, the front debt expense and then, you know, and we know how hard elk hunting is in or in general, right. Yeah. You know, 
10% is a good success rate, right? You know, so oh, yeah, that's, that's high. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. So coming home empty handed after spending all that money and, you know, uh, is really tough to kind of step to swallow. Right. Um, and then with, like you said is, you know, it's getting harder and harder for, for non-residents to even get out there in general with the, the price of tags. I mean, what did Idaho, right. Yeah went through the mm-hmm. roof with their prices and they are making it yeah. just harder and harder for us to, to do some of these experiences and really, you know, front all that money for, you know, I mean, yeah, I would love to do it. I pay a bunch of money just to go out there and hike around and right. enjoy it. But I mean, we have mm-hmm. life and family and stuff too. So that makes it even more difficult for anyone now that hasn't do it. Cause before we'd say, Hey, just go out and do it. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Just experience right. it, do it. But I mean, it's, it's, it's getting harder and harder and harder to make that judgment. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And you know, for, for most guys, it's, you know, whether it's attainable every year, whether it's attainable every two years, three years, you know, they, they could make it happen if they really wanted to, you know, a few less meals out to eat here or stops at the gas station for snacks here and, and, you know, start, rat hole in your money a little bit you can you can make up a lot of that ground but yeah with with gas doing what it's doing and and those things it's it's probably going to put you know a lot of guys like me sitting at you know Mm -hmm. hunting their home states this year um but it, it is a little daunting when it comes to all that but with a little bit of planning and you know logistical strategy it can happen yep what have you uh, taken from uh, chasing elk back home to the whitetail woods that you know maybe has helped you become a better whitetail hunter or have have grown in, in either or or vice versa? What have you know anything that kind of pops out to you? Uh yeah, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. They're they're a little bit different, you know. When you're when you're hunting elk, you can make noise. Elk make noise. You can make noise when you're walking through the woods. You know, it's. It's a little different, and I probably do that a little more now hunting whitetail than I used to. Uh, not so much when I'm on the ground, but when I'm in the tree, I'm not afraid to trim some limbs and let them fall. You know, limbs fall in the in the woods every day, and those yep. those deer are used to hearing that sort of stuff. So, some things like that, I probably don't stress over quite as much as I used to. Um, I play the wind a lot more uh, closely for whitetail probably now than I than I ever have. Just you know, as much as we watch it when we're elk hunting, because there's no scent control when you're elk hunting. <laughs> 30 minutes into that hike sweating the water for day three it's it's rough um so yeah you you're really watching your wind and and things as far as that goes and waiting on thermals to switch and those and those things but uh, with whitetail you know it's i really started kind of watching my winds and picking my stands lo- locations based on that versus going well the wind's not quite right but if i you know if my scent control's good and i really pay attention to you know keeping myself clean on the way in and walking slow and not sweating and that sort of thing. But I just, I trying to hunt more mature deer now, especially back home in Indiana. I just, I don't chance it near as much. Now, is there any mistakes that maybe you made the first couple times going out West hunting that that you can give advice to a new hunter that maybe they're going to do it this year (laughs) for the first time that, you know, that you can kind of avoid a couple of those mistakes if someone kind of told you what to do. I mean, we all kind of make those and it's all a learning curve, but you know, is there one or two things that you did that you could tell somebody, Hey, just definitely don't do this. And, and you'll have a little bit or better of an experience. Yeah. I mean, 
there, there's a lot when it goes into it, um, you know, that, that we pay attention to now uh, that we're farther into this. And, you know, we've got some really good gear and things, but you, you can get by with cheaper gear. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to suck a little more. It's going to be a little more painful at times, but the two big things um, that will send you home the fastest, I think, and make your time really miserable is food and water. Um, that first year we did a five day trip. We went, we, we opted not to get water leaders. Um, we went a little over 24 hours without water. Um, and I don't know if y'all ever had dehydration headaches, but they're not fun. Um, <laughs> they're not fun at all. And the cramps are terrible. Um, and trying to make up that ground after you've lost that much water is almost impossible in that week. Um, especially being out there and having to filter all your water and those things. So that is one thing now that we do not mess around with. Um, last year we took, I think we had three 10 liter water bladders in camp. We had our, both are now jeans. I feel like we had something else. We, we, we sat down at the Creek one night. It was, it was already dark cause we hunted till dark and then we hiked down there and got water. I think we filtered like, Oh, 40 some ounces of water or something stupid like that it was a lot. And then while we're filtering. So the first thing we did was fill our now jeans and drank that as we were filling everything else and then turn around and filtered them and filled them again. Um, you know, especially, you know, I'm 200 and I usually go out there at about 215 pounds when I go to the mountain and it takes a lot of water to keep me, you know, to keep me hydrated and let my muscles work as hard as they need to work when you're hiking all day, every day. And I think, you know, especially in a thinner oxygen environment, if you're not getting a lot of oxygen through the air, a good way to get us through your water. So, you know, as much water as you can get in is, is good. Um, and then our meals, you know, our, that first year, and, and Evan was a lot lighter than <laughs> back then too. He was a skinny fella when we met. Um, and then we got him in the weight room. But he, uh, he was doing a lot of different things with his food then. And I was, of course, as green as could be and didn't have a clue what I was getting myself into as far as eating in the backcountry. And now I've got it dialed, you know. It's, we've got our go-to go meals, and I've got a Excel spreadsheet, and everything's, you know, factored out. And I, anywhere between 3,350 to 3,550 calories a day is about where I'm at. Um, it's not nearly what I'm burning, but you can't physically pack enough food in to keep yourself from losing weight in that week. Uh, that first year, you know, with no water or we, we eventually got water, but those, those first couple of days were rough. Um, and then just not having nearly the food we should have had. I lost like 15 and a half pounds in five days. Yeah. You know that I'm, I'm good with that. But that, that first year, man, I came back and my wife's like, your face is all sunken in. Like, what did you do that week? <laughs> Like, well, we hiked like 90 miles in five days. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I always, I always chuckle yeah. when I tell people about our Utah trip. Cause I always say, you know, especially you and I, we're, we're out walking and hiking and doing all these different, like, you know, gear back, you know, our bags are on our back doing all those type of workouts. And we were, we were prepared to go out and sleep under, you know, the big trees and everything like that. And we ended up doing a truck camp, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we were ready for that, but it, it didn't call for that. Like it wasn't that, yeah. 
like in our unit. I'm there could have been areas, but it wasn't like that like at all. And I just remember just getting ready. I mean, it helped obviously because we were hiking around, still looking for mule deer and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But just that initial of like we're gonna. I bought like my Garmin, uh, you know, uh, Rhino or what the, whatever the heck it's called, and just being like, all right, yeah. I'm not gonna have any cell phone service. I'm I'm gonna be off the grid. It was like we get there, boom, service. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. you know, this sucks. which is always yeah, that's always a nice surprise too. But it, you know, at least you're prepared for it if you get yep. in and get in on some good deer and put them to bed and, and need to stay out, you know, and not move and be with them the next morning when they get up. You you know, you could have been. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what. When you were tell, asking him, you know, what did he learn in the elk woods that you take back, which which we learned is, you know, not always the deer are way back deep, right? Yeah. You know, they oh, were yeah. close to the road. You know, they were just basically where the hunters weren't. And we kind of figured that out halfway through our trip, which really put us on deer. We just weren't successful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's something that I kind of brought back to the to whitetail woods is you know, cause I was always in that, Hey, you got to go deep. The big bucks are deep, you know? Uh, yeah. but not, that's not so much the case. And we've kind of figured that yeah. out the last couple of years. It's not where, how deep you go. It's where people aren't and those big bucks are hiding. Mm-hmm. And that was similar to what we found out in Utah. And, you know, we kind of strategized that at the end of our trip, which put us on a couple, yeah. um, situations where we, we could have connected, but we didn't. Um, but you know, yeah, that was just something that we kind of learned and picked on while we were out there. Yeah, you know it's it's funny those those big mature deer they will find those pockets where nobody is pressuring it and they they may their home range may be a few hundred yards you know they, yeah if they've got food and they've got water they don't have to go far they they won't and you know that's one thing you hear with all the podcasts that are out now and stuff and all the guys that are talking about you know backcountry hunting and extended trips and things like that it's you know it's a bit of a, a romantic sense about it you know to to hike back as far as you can and get in deep in the backcountry and stuff like that but you'll hear snyder and if you guys say you know don't hike past elk to go find elk yeah you know if they're only a mile and a half two miles in stay a mile and a half to two miles in it's a lot shorter walk back to the truck when it's time to pack one out than <laughs> if you go six six or ten miles deep well geez i mean you talk about three years ago when a nearby neighbor shot that deer what like 50 yards away from the truck stop like mm-hmm. and i mean that's a, a he was a hammer yep i mean like you just said it's just these deer could find little pockets where either they could pattern people pulling in and walking through and they know where you know they're just maybe out of our eyesight but you know that deer obviously slipped up one way but uh yeah it's it's crazy to to think that and i would say too for me like one of the things that i brought home was you know just like being a little bit more patient you know that kind of really taught me to you know take your time a little bit like a little bit on your movement because i mean i always you know i remember as a kid my dad always like turning around like you know quiet (laughs) you know what i mean i think we all have i I, you know we've all done that but pick up your feet yeah Yeah. pick up your feet (laughs) yeah quit stepping on sticks yep exactly (laughs) but i feel like that that helped me out too like just slowing the process down whether it be glassing and you know, and instead of just being like, yep, yep, nothing's here. Let's, let's keep going. And I I mean, obviously there's time for that. I'm not saying that, but that was an attribute for me where it was like, man, just take your time, you know, check all your cues and all that type of stuff. And, you know, that was one of the things too, that I I brought back from that trip. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and kind of learning elk a little bit, especially their, their eyes aren't 
nearly as good as what I thought they would be. Okay. Um, they don't, they pick up more on movement than they do anything. So, you know, when I killed my bull in 2020, I was wearing, well, it's one of the photos I sent you earlier. Yep. I'm, uh, just a pair of khaki pants and a brown merino t-shirt and i killed him at like 13 and a half yards and he you know he looked right at me and then just kept walking Jeez. um and you know the rest is history on that one but it uh yeah that was that that really did surprise me even the bull i killed in 19 um i think he was like 46 yard is a frontal shot and he was he was looking at me when I released that one, but he didn't spook. Even when the the bow went off, he didn't move. Right. Um, so, yeah, just staying still, moving slow. Um, you you can get away with a lot. Just just slow, subtle movement. Well, that's what I always love watching people when they film someone elk hunting, and that elk is literally like five yards <laughs> away from that person. And I'm always like, what the? How does that even happen? But that kind of makes yeah. sense. Like they just. You know, they're, they pick up more so on that movement rather than like, you know, being that fully camouflage, whatever. But I, I always laugh at that. Like that bull would just come flying in. You could hear him <gasps> breathing and that person's yeah. like full draw and just boom, you know, yeah. I, that'd be such hold a your, Hold your composure in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Holy you know, cow. Guys like, well, South Cox has done it like three times in a row now. He's killed him like six yards or less. Jeez. And it's like, man just that that i can't wait for that i hope that happens at some point i want to see zach farinbaugh do that like from the <laughs> ground with his hair flowing how he gets on the ground and hunts those whitetail we'll see him do that for uh for elk <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah yeah i've had i've had a few close calls with whitetail on the ground within four or five yards and it's it's always fun to have them in that tight yep what uh what are you doing right now for whitetail here in pa and stuff uh just a little bit of I'm probably going to try and get down and pick up on a few urban spots uh, a little closer to Pittsburgh. Um, just I'm not picky in Pennsylvania. Um, just whatever fills my tag and is legal, I'm I'm here for it. So other than that, I'll probably try and get up on the on the game lands just north of me, um, hunting public right here. And as little time, I think the big the bigger factor is as little time as I have when I'm in Pennsylvania. Um, it makes it a little more tough for me to to spend a lot of time out there and, and get more opportunities so i can't be too picky with that anyway whereas when i go home i'm i'm you know on our family farms and stuff i'm i'm looking for a more mature deer i'm really trying to manage those a little bit and then just pick up a couple does along the way but how much summer scouting are you able to get done right now it's a lot of camera work uh so we went home in the end of may and then we went home again right there at the end of June. So I was able to get out, um, fresh up some mineral sites, get four or five cameras out. I got one cell cam out um, and then just trying to watch them. I'll be home one more time in September. And then after that, the next time I'm home, it's, it's we're in season. So yep. not as much as I would like, um, especially now that a trip home is about, you know, between three and $400 in gas. So it's, it's fewer and further between that I would, than I would really like, but it's about a, nine hour trip with the kids so yeah it's funny because i feel like every year that i do scouting wise i do a little bit more than i did the previous year and i still feel yeah. like i'm completely behind and lost and not where i near, need to be at this point oh yeah it's 
it's one of those things where, you know, we'd be out there every week if we could, but, you know, in doing so, you're also putting down a lot of scent and a lot of pressure on the animals and changing their patterns and just got to be patient. <laughs> how, how much value, the, yeah, how much value do you put in like the summer scouting a little bit? Like, you, you know, I, are you okay with seeing deer, not seeing deer? Like even if you're in an area where it, maybe the habitat looks good and there's the feature looks good and there's some sign, like what, just because for some, maybe the postseason right after our season or that March, April time frame, it, it's difficult mm-hmm. you know, for people to go out or earlier than that. So they're, they are going in June and July, you know, how, like what, you know, I guess, what are you putting in for value? Like, checking a box like this is a good this is a new great spot because it has this this and this is that you saw deer is it the terrain features and you might throw up a camera and lead let it soak and come october 10th if you know if it is a cell camera you you maybe haven't seen anything yet you know maybe do you go in there and, and move it around and go from there yeah so right right now with the cell cam i've just got it on kind of a field edge um on the mineral site and just kind of letting it soak. Um, I do tend to leave my cameras out all year long just to kind of keep an inventory of what's in the area and what's going on. And, you know, I, I frankly, I just like looking at trail cam photos. So mm-hmm. I just leave them out there as long as I can. Um, I'll deactivate that cell camera sometime, you know, in late season or after season's over till about this last month, I, I reactivated and turned it back on. And I've got a couple does that just are loving that mineral site right now. <laughs> um, I haven't seen any mature bucks on it yet. Uh, I've got a little spike and probably a little two-year-old um, that are on it, but I've got a few different lick and branch setups um, that I've got cameras on, and then I've got a actually one of those hodag lick and stick setups okay. that kind of proved to be pretty active last year. I had a, a good four-year-old come in and snap that stick off and and put on a little show um, in front of that camera that's actually set the video, so that was really cool to to kind of see that. Did but, you have that set up on the ground or was that from the tree? Uh, it was on a, it was on a tree. Yep. Probably it, it, it was a ways from that, that stick. Um, the, the lick and stick setup yep. is, is what that one was on. And it was, I don't know, the camera was probably 35 yards away from it. Um, so it, it's been cool. Cause I've had the, the strap was hanging this last time I was home and I've had a couple of raccoons climbing the tree and untying the strap on me. Um, so it's, it's just funny to see things like that that, you, you know, you don't normally see going on. But as far as, you know, picking spots and patterning, patterning deer on these farms, I mean, where I'm setting my cameras, I don't have any out on public ground here. They're all on private farm, you know, private grounds back home that I've been hunting for years now. So I've got a lot of time in on these farms. I kind of know where these deer like to move, how they, how their traffic patterns are and uh, really kind of where the doe bedding is, where the bucks like to hang out and, Right now, I'm staying on kind of on the fringe of things. I've got one camera in a in a transition area just because that's that's where I leave it. I, I do have a licking branch set up there, um, but the others are pretty much on the edge of everything until September is probably when I'll transition them and start putting them in a little more high traffic areas. And then I know I'm going to be out of there from that point for a month at least until I go back to hunt. So I'll move them then. Um, but as far as, I mean, right now, like I said, I've on that cell camera, I don't have any mature bucks on that. Uh, um, but I've also got three other cameras out there soaking too. So, you know, my hopes are that he's, he's kind of 
avoiding that mineral site and just using some different patterns. And there's a, there's a big acorn ridge on the backside of the farm that, that they like to use a lot this time of year. So there's a good chance he's hanging out over there and got plenty of food. And so nice. What about some of we'll the, start seeing. what about some of your spots that, you know, your family farm, you, you like you said, you you kind of know where bucks hang out and you kind of know the history and how that lays out. But what about some, some areas that you're not familiar with? Maybe it's like, uh, some public ground or, you know, some of the cameras that yet you, you haven't got that good summer Intel. Um, but maybe mm-hmm. you, you want to hunt or, you know, or your season's not quite going how you want to at the beginning and your cameras aren't showing deer even after they go hard horn, you know, what are you kind of doing differently to kind of, uh, you know, find a buck or, you know, um, get on deer, uh, since, you know, you don't have that inventory, that summer scouting and inventory that you might've wanted to. Yeah, it's, you know, we can kind of look at other food sources and, and how they've kind of transitioned their uses on that. Um, and then, like I said, I know a lot of, especially on those, those farms where the bedding areas are, um, if I was on public ground, you know, I'd be looking at probably some trying to find what look like pinch points or transitional areas between food and bedding, or even a water source, um, travel corridors and, and finding those. I mean, e-scouting, you can do some of that, but you really, it's, it's good to get up and put boots on the ground. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of. I did a lot of still hunting for years growing up before I ever got in a tree stand. So, and I know, you know, you guys are working with tethered now and, and I've been running their gear since 2019. So that, that gives me so much versatility versus I got to stand in this tree. You know, it's my lock ons there. That, that's where it's at. I, so get down, put boots on the ground, find some fresh sign, and then, you know, kind of start mapping out a new plan from there. And, uh, it really, it really makes you pretty adaptable on the fly. It it's, does. Yep. It's been an awesome, it's been an awesome piece of gear that I, I wish I would have had 10, 12 years ago. Well, that's what I, and I, I, I just heard a podcast with, uh, Cody DeQuisto and he was talking about some people love him. Some people question some of his tactics, but you know, he made a really good point is, and I think I struggle with this, you know, more than probably everyone is you know he he loves to hunt the more you know he hunts in the morning and then instead of what do we Mm -hmm. do we 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 get down when we think move it's gone you know and then we go back home and you know do our thing and then he goes out for the or we go out for the evening right and kind of game plan he in that midday Mm -hmm. he is going out and he is scouting right he spends that whole day out whether whatever time of the season it is you know obviously during the rut he's going to sit pretty much all day unless movement's slow and I think that's yeah. such a good strategy that a lot of people are missing, right? We hunt two or three mornings and I get family and stuff that, that might not always be the case. But I mean, if you can get that one day, uh, to hunt and, you know, during the daytime, why are you not taking advantage of the daylight hours and, and trying to look for an area that you, you're okay. Like you're not going to hunt there in the evening. Why not go in there? And if you're not going to, you know, if there's people there and they're hunting, obviously you don't want to be that guy that's just trampling through. Right. But go in and scout an area and look for fresh sign and rubs. And, you know, if you jump a nice buck, like, you know, you, 
we know that he's still going to be in there, right? You know, yeah. You know, yeah. some people think that you know he likes the you know the uh, what bump and dump, bump and dump, yeah. right? You know, which which yeah. might happen. That we we actually almost did that one year, mm-hmm. um, but even on a high pressured public ground. But even though you can set up a camera, or you know, then or find some sign and set up a camera, and then gain some more inventory, you know, you got it. If you want to kill good bucks. I mean, I'm starting to learn you have to be in the woods and learn and, you know, constantly figure them out. And I think we waste a lot of time as whitetail hunters, which, you know, doesn't happen as often in the Western because they're constantly glassing or moving or trying to find animals all day long because you're out there. You can't go home, right, when you're backpacking. You're out there, so you might as well use your time. And I think there's so much wasted time in whitetail hunting that we don't take advantage of that time. Yeah, you know, I've said that for a lot of years now. Number, number one, you can't kill them from the couch, right? You got to be out there in order to get it done. So it's, I've, I can't tell you how many 12, 13, 14 hour sits I've had in the saddle since I, I picked it up in 2019. And before then, I was doing the same thing in, in a lock on. Um, you know, I might, might get down in that one o'clock to two o'clock period and go run a couple cameras and see, you know, what was kind of on them from the evening before the morning before. Um, but I've seen a lot of good bucks on their feet between 11 and 1230 noon. Um, and one o'clock, you know, that time frame. And I had one in, I mean, what year it was now, probably 2014. Um, he came in, slipped in. I didn't have a shot, bedded down in a little honeysuckle thicket in front of me at like 22 yards. I watched him take a nap for two hours and he slipped out the back and I never had an opportunity at him. Crazy. Um, but it was just super awesome to have that experience and get to watch him, you know, and he didn't, he didn't come in till the, it was almost noon when he came in and then slipped on out and went to make his rounds again. Uh, the buck I shot in 2015, it was opening morning of gun season. Of course had my bow in hand and, was up in the lock on and man, it was just, it was world war three all morning <laughs> and about 10 30, all, all the gun hunters were going home, you know, opening morning was done for them and they were going in for lunch, probably froze out. And of course it was just starting to warm up and I'm sure they were bumping deer around, but here, here come this, you know, good buck that I've been hunting since October. I had over 200 hours in chasing this deer and here he come bumping a doe and just run her hard they're both panting tongues hanging out and he came in and i missed him on camera uh at 50 yards shot right over his back i I bumped the camera arm with my bow when i released and uh she ran out they neither one really spooked but she ran out I, i hit the grunt tube a little bit and she started feeding back across in front of me and i shot him at 60 yards um on the second one that's crazy and yeah I it was man. I was. I thought I missed him too. I thought I missed him at sixty because from the naked eye, the way the arrow arced, it looked like it went just right over his back. Yeah, and he had, he had spun on the shot too, which visually made everything really Blurred. jumbled. But he he ran about a hundred yards downhill and he was done. Well, I when you were just saying about you know scouting around and doing all that <clears> stuff. <throat> There's so many scenarios though that you could improve yourself. You know what I mean? Like you could one. Maybe you walk around in, in that general area and you are 275 yards off from where actually the concentration of sign is, right? Or where you're yeah, finding now yeah. that that actually 
white oak is dropping, you know, and there's none near you. There you go. You found that. Or you walk around and you see there's really nothing happening. So you cross that off. You know what I mean? There's just so Mm -hmm. much more intel that you're going to gain, like you just said, rather than not going in for that day or or going home for the day and for the evening and coming back to a different spot. Because how many times have we hunted the morning one spot and gone to a different spot in the evening and you know there's all reasons why we might have to do that because of wind and all that stuff but it's just a great right. opportunity for you to get out there and actually like we were saying earlier checking the boxes you know and yeah. again i i've said this story on the podcast about 10 times already but you know what you just said about us going in that early season october when you hit that bucket and we didn't you didn't recover it you know, again, you just kept going until you found that concentration of sign. And it wasn't that far in. It was just, you know, you kept working your way to it and you found it. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, how many more times earlier years ago would you have been like, this is a good spot. I'm just going to go up here when you could have been 90, 100 yards away just from that opportunity when it would have been maybe you saw yeah. them, maybe you didn't. So I don't know. It's, it's again, I think it's a it's a learning curve and it's that's why we do what we do and kind of keep growing and get better got to be adaptable and always got to be learning you know it, it you could eliminate a lot in that afternoon time frame you know where you've got that hour of downtime and especially before the leaves drop because you can be so much quieter moving through the woods before yeah. the leaves drop than you can you know later on and one little thing i've started carrying with me um that's made it a lot nicer moving through some of the thick underbrush and stuff is a little set of hand printers Cause if I can get into a spot that's real thick with, you know, big green briar and things like that, I can, you know, I can trim out a lot and not, not, you know, have that get a hold of my clothing and rip and drag and, you know, on the Cordura of the backpack and things like that make a lot of noise or just rubbing up against a lot of stuff that you don't need to. Um, but getting down eliminating ground, you know, maybe, maybe the sign you were on has gone stale. Maybe they not hit it in a week or so. And, like you said, you go 75 or a hundred yards and you find something fresh and brand new that, you know, they've shifted a little bit. Yeah. I like it. Well, and I think too, I mean, we would love to have 50, 60 cameras that could give us all this Intel, but again, with, you know, inflation and prices, right. And, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone's going to be able to do that. Right. Someone might only have yeah. two or three cameras or five cameras or, you know, so you can only gain so much Intel from, from that. And, you know, and, you know, even for us, I mean, right now stomping through the woods is not, <laughs> not the best thing with, with, we have a high rattlesnake population, yeah. especially in the area that, that no, we wow. hunt. Um, I actually just bought some snake chaps today on Amazon prime, but, uh, <laughs> just after the, uh, little scenario I had over the weekend, but, um, so, you know, July is tough for us, you know, to go stomping through the yeah. woods is really tough for us. And, you know, so you're kind of, if you're behind, then, you know, you're waiting a little bit and then, you know, so you relying on just what you ha- already have out there camera wise. Um, and then the season kind of creeps up on you. So you got to kind of make up some ground somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Yeah. No, I've, I've never had to deal with the buzzworms. That's something I'm glad I yeah. <laughs> don't have to mess with. I just find it so bizarre when I've gone home back to northeastern Pennsylvania. We've seen them here and there, but not like how we see them here. It's just nuts, like how you said, how how many are around here. And uh, like, because back at home, like when I went with my dad last month and we trekked through and I was like, crap, I forgot my hike, like my, my hiking stick just because, you know, that's what we use to, you know, move around and 
but like I like to be honest with you, we my dad was like, ah, we'll be fine. I mean, there's there's rocks in certain areas where you would think, and you know, wood like some certain tree trunks and everything, but not one, not a single one. And it warmed up like later that day. And I mean, luckily at yeah. one at one point we were in the side by side for a good bit, but when we still would walk to certain areas and scout around, I mean, we're not in the side by side. We use the side by side to right. get up and down to like certain points of the ridges and and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just. It's not fun around here. It's, it really isn't <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. That adds a new element to it all for sure. Yeah. And we got copper copperheads back on, but honestly I've never seen one. Yeah. Um, and all the, and all the time I've, you know, I live, I live back in Southern Indiana. I've, I've never seen a copperhead, but it, uh, and there are some timber rattlers that I've, I've heard up in the, uh, the Hoosier national forest, which is just like 50, minutes up the road from from our little farm back home but i've i've still never ran into one which yeah. has been a blessing for sure <laughs> <laughs> are you going to be uh filming hunts this year what's the the plan of attack on on that side of things yeah i uh you know that's always kind of the plan and sometimes i i just kind of Leave it push that to the side and mm-hmm. I, i've always got the camera with me but and you know the intention's always there to film and I, i've got a decent setup now uh with the camera arm I've got trying to learn how to film out of the saddle and those, and those sort of things. So I'll probably try and get a little bit more serious about capturing, you know, some hunts on film, but sometimes it's, it's nice to just kind of push the camera up against the tree and just in, enjoy what's there. I'm always, always shooting stills. That's, you know, that's really kind of where my passion is, is still yep. photography and, and that sort of stuff. But the, you know, the video is fun to watch too. I, I posted that one up here a while back of, uh, the bull I shot in 2020, of course it was overexposed and he stepped out of frame on the shot. And still there and you could see him come in and hear him bugle and, and watch him run out with an arrow hanging out of his side. So it's, you know, it's fun to have those memories and I've, I've always got the camera with me. I've got a couple new lenses now and I'm always trying to learn that new setup and kind of perfect that craft a little bit. So we, we shoot a lot of photography for, for several different companies too. So it's, it's always fun just getting out and shooting products and lifestyle photos and whatever we can. Heck yeah, man. Do a good job of it. You got anything else? I appreciate it. Yeah, no, you're good. Well, Zach, man, I appreciate you, you know, chatting with us this evening and, uh, yeah, I I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, you chasing some whitetail this year. You, You know, I always, you know, like I said, I really look forward to, and I was following along last year when you guys were in Colorado and I know you and I messaged back a little bit back and forth about it. And you said you got your tail kicked a little bit. It was tough. And, yeah. um, but yeah, I, and I, you know, I'm anxious to see what you do this year. We're just kind of focusing on the white tail side of things and I'm sure you're going to have success and, you know, let's some of those nice buck you had on camera last year. I hope they survived yeah. and you get a chance to chase some of them. Yeah, last year was tough. It's always fun when we're out in Colorado in that unit um, because we do tend to have service. And it's, you know, it's kind of enabled us with social media and everything to have kind of a semi-live hunt, which is always cool to have, you know, people messaging in and stuff and kind of keeps your morale high when you're on the mountain, which we do a pretty good job with anyway. I think that's one reason we've been able to hunt together for so long is because, you know, the, the energy always stays positive and we're always pushing each other to keep going and, and picking each other up, which is good. Um the thing I I don't do as well with it when we come back for white tail because the farms I'm on we just I don't have enough service to post so I've always yeah. kind of got to video things or take photos and and post them later when I get back to the house so it's it's a little more of a, a little more work 
than just, you know, kind of holding the phone up and, and snapping a story. But yeah, it's, it's something I enjoy. It's, it's fun to let people see it and Heck yeah. just interact with everyone. But yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on tonight. It's been a blast and Absolutely, we'll have man. to do it again. We, we definitely need to get out and see, shoot some 3d. We're not that far from each other know, out here. We, so we definitely do. So, well, Zach, I, man, I love it. Tell people where they could find you follow along all that stuff. If they're not already doing so. Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. We're uh, at Hunt Lead on Instagram, Hunt Lead on Facebook. We do have a YouTube channel. There's not a whole lot on it just yet, but hopefully we're going to kind of beef that up here soon. And I'm working on a new website design right now as well. We've got some some custom veins and hopefully eventually some shirts and stuff for the brand. But yeah, we're just doing our best to kind of you know push fitness and training. That's that's my background. And Evans, he's now a CrossFit level one coach. So. Uh, I've got my bachelor's in exercise science. I've been doing, you know, some personal training and stuff for years now. So that's kind of where our, our passion lies is, you know, training for the moment, you know, the, the moment, the functionality of everything, training with a purpose and, and making sure we have a, a long and active, healthy hunting career. So awesome, man. I appreciate it. Well, everybody go, uh, give them a follow, check out Zach, check out Evan and, uh, appreciate you guys tuning in this week. See you next week and antler up.
That's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Again, thank you everybody for tuning in. Check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our Go Wild pages. Thank you again, everybody, for all the continued support. See you next week. Antler Up.